Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soullesschurch.com. You can stand with Mike and I this morning as Mike leads us in our scripture reading from Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness and in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father in heaven, we truly again thank you for how you have provided for what we need. This is one of the themes of your word. Um, God, that that as humans, we are not self-sufficient. We don't have what it takes, and we don't have what we need in and of ourselves. We are in need, God, ultimately of you and your help and your grace and your provision. And we recognize today a truth about you, that God, as we gather to worship you, we are centering our hearts and minds around Jehovah Jireh. You're the God who provides you're the God that, that supplies all of our needs according to your riches. And that's why we're here today. God, we're not here as a bunch of followers of Jesus because we have in and of ourselves what we need. God, we're here to admit that we equally are here because of our need for you, and yet in you, we have what we need, God. And so thank you for that hope today. Thank you that you are a God that provides for us even in the spiritual battles of life. And so would you today provide a little more? in our hearts and minds as we are seeking to be faithful to you and to walk in all the great things you've called us to. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Okay. Well, let's get into this this morning. Ephesians chapter 6. The reason why we're here is we've been working our way through the book of Ephesians, this New Testament epistle written by the Apostle Paul to a young church like ours and at that time uh, in Ephesus or modern-day Turkey. Paul writes to this church with the heart of a pastor, and he's, you know, the book of Ephesians, we've said, is kind of refreshing. Most of Paul's letters can be a little, like, wincy, like, you know, like, it's like, it's like that guy that gets up to preach, and you're kind of, like, ready for him to be, oh, this is gonna hurt, you know, like one of those guys. That's Paul. It's like you kind of have to be ready for what's coming at you, and that's most of his letters, because most of the time churches are dysfunctional, and they need correction, and they need, they need help. Ephesians is like a breath of fresh air, because Paul is not writing to this church to bring 
you know, eight different corrections to eight different problems. He's really writing to encourage them to stay the course that they've been on, which is such an, also a needed thing in our lives. Sometimes we just need people to come alongside of us and say, hey, I don't have anything new to tell you except keep going. <laughs> just keep going a through, a forward on what you've learned. Continue, listen, here's the theme of Ephesians, to root down in Jesus. Continue to allow your roots to, to find their way uh, strong in what Christ has done for you. That's the book of Ephesians. Uh, that two-word phrase is used all throughout the book. It's the phrase, in Christ. Like, this is what Paul really wants us to get and remain in. That we would remain in our positions provided and afforded for us through the gospel, through what Christ has done. Uh, you and I are in Jesus, but may we actually walk in him and live in him is the big idea. Now, as we get to the end of chapter 6 here, this final section of this book... Paul is going to give us the context, and he's giving us that, the context of that calling to remain. And what he teaches us is the call for you and I to remain in Jesus, as followers of Jesus, is not merely a battle between you and yourself. And sometimes that is part of the battle, is you've got to wrestle yourself. I don't know if you guys know what that feels like. I know what it's like to fight myself, okay? Tyler Durden style, all right? Now, the idea here is not so much just that you have to battle yourself and battle circumstances, but Paul unveils a really heavy and truthful context that lies behind the average Christian's life. Life in the home, life in marriage, life at work, that's the context. And it's in that context that we're called to remain in Christ that Paul says we're actually battling, not against flesh and blood, but against these spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Good morning, welcome to church, okay? This is the passage of scripture that leads us to think about what we wouldn't tend to think about, or maybe we're freaked out about because of how often some weird people talk about it and like over obsess about it. So we kind of go all the way over here, but scripture would want to, want to bring us back to center to have a healthy understanding that there's more to the natural world than the natural world. There's more to the battles you face than your simple temptations and your struggles. There is, listen, there is a real spiritual enemy. There's a real spiritual war going on in the unseen realm, and it often mirrors that of the physical realm. And as a follower of Jesus, you and I are on the front lines of that battle to where you and I are not wrestling with flesh and blood, but you and I are wrestling with spiritual forces. He uses the word there, the phrase there, the devil, a real spiritual enemy. Now, uh, this enemy we've learned has power that's not over, but against the people of God. This is such an important detail. Uh, in Christ, you are no longer under the power of the wicked one. Someone say, amen. amen. You are no longer under, as the scripture says, the whole world lies under the sway of the evil one. That's not you in Jesus. That was you before Jesus. You were dictated by the course of the prince of this air, but you who are dead, he made alive. Amen. There it is, okay? God made you alive in him, so now you are no longer under his power. But just because his power is not over you doesn't mean his power is not coming against you in a powerful way, in scheming ways, in tactical ways, is kind of the language here of Ephesians. Paul's like, you got to watch out against the, he uses the phrase, the wiles of the devil. Now, before there was a wiles road, there was the wily who? 
the wily coyote, okay? And that's the imagery, is Satan is cunning with tactics and schemes. He's not all-knowing, but he's learned some things about humanity over the past few thousand years that he's studied us. We said last week, uh, Satan has learned what he's learned from, from studying humanity, and we have given him plenty of source material, unfortunately. If he just looked at you or in my life alone, he would have enough source material to trip up a human. And so the, the, the reality here is we're in a spiritual battle. It's against a real spiritual enemy who has real spiritual tactics that are often tailored towards your weaknesses and vulnerabilities. So there's like, notice the, the balance here. There's like a call to be sober-minded, as Peter would say. Like, be careful. Watch out. Be on guard. But then there's this vision that Paul gives, on the other hand, that calls us to be strong that calls us to be victorious, that calls us to stand against what's coming against us. That's the vision here of Ephesians 6. The vision that's given here is that of God's people standing against the attacks of the enemy in victory. The, the idea here is that spiritual warfare isn't a losing battle for the child of God. Spiritual warfare is the experience, really, as it says in 2 Corinthians, of God is always leading us, actually, in triumph. He wants to lead us into victory. And that's the vision Paul gives here. Uh, Paul describes, through this really interesting imagery, the way in which God has provided for your and my defense in the spiritual battle. There's a real spiritual battle. You have a real spiritual enemy. He's very cunning. But you have, here's the good news, God on your side. And if God is for us, somebody finish it, who can be against us? As David would say, God is my defense. I'm not going to be afraid. I, I have God behind me. and I have God providing everything I need around me. That's the vision he gives through this imagery of the armor of God. Come on, VBS. All right? The armor of God. The picture is that of a, of a Roman soldier uh, in that context that is armed to the teeth with all the necessary defenses to be victorious in battle. And, and Paul is using the armor of God metaphorically, and here's what he's using it for. Notice this. The armor of God, we talked about this last week, is a metaphor for how God has equipped us to identify and stand against the schemes of the devil. That's what Paul's giving us. Through the armor of God, we have these, remember, they're not magical. They're metaphorical. There's not like a literal helmet you forgot to put on this morning. It's like, did you put on your helmet before church? Did you put on your breastplate of righteousness? You're like, we still be wearing breastplates out here? No, we're not, okay? It's metaphorical for how God has provided for the child of God to stand against the schemes. And a key word here is to identify the schemes. We have a scheming enemy whose goal is to separate us from God, to trip us up, to take us out. But I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11. He says, for we are not ignorant, though, of his schemes. This is such an important reminder to insert in here. That in Christ... We don't have to be outsmarted by his tactics because we have a better military commander who's given us everything we need to identify his tactics and stand against them. So that's what we've been talking about out here at Solace Church on Sunday mornings. You know, how to victoriously overcome the schemes of the devil. And as cartoonish as that might feel to you, Scripture would call us not to be magicians, as C.S. Lewis said, but also not to be materialists, to center well in this reality and to fight 
towards victory with how with the ways that God has provided for us. So each week what we're going to do here uh, for the next few months is we're going to be exploring the different pieces of the armor. We're going to look at each piece of the armor and see how, as we appropriate God's defenses, how we can identify the enemy's scheme and we can overcome them together. So let's start with the first one this morning. Ephesians 6.14 gives us the first piece of the armor, symbolism for how we're to stand against the enemy's tactics, identify and overcome, And it's there in verse 14. Mike read us these verses where the call is to stand therefore, be victorious. Notice this, having girded your waist with truth. There's the first one. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Now, I know that's not typically what we say when we're like, yo, did you put your belt on? You don't usually say, yo, did you gird up your loins today? Did you get that done? You forgot to gird up your loins, okay? We don't typically use that terminology. Gird up your waist, yo, all right? Looking like a fool with your pants on the ground. Gird up your waist, okay? We don't say that. We say, put on a belt. And this is what what Paul is saying. First piece of the armor that Paul says to put on is the belt of truth. Now, let's stop for a second. This is what we're going to explore here for our short time together. The first... Provision of defense that God has given us, where it all starts, is truth. Here's where it starts. Real spiritual enemy, a real spiritual battle, very cunning. And God has provided for your victory in that battle by supplying you with the truth that you need to stand. Now the reason, let's establish this. The reason why Paul begins his description of God's provided protection for the believer, the reason why Paul begins with truth is because Satan begins with lies. You could actually sum up every single one of the devil, of these organized spiritual forces, tactics, you can sum it all up in a bunch of lies. This is how he has deceived from the very beginning. It's how he continues to deceive today. Here's the words of Jesus. Um, Jesus was a great trash talker, by the way. Before MJ was around, Jesus was doing it. And in John 8, Jesus is trash talking both the religious leaders and the devil. That's how good he was pretty sweet. I love Jesus. Here's what he says in John 8. He says, by the way, the context is they're talking to Jesus and they're like, oh, at least we weren't born out of fornication with your virgin mom. That's what they're basically saying to him. Like, we know what happened to you. We know where you've come from. And they were assuming that Christ was born out of adultery or fornication. And they're like, we know who your your real dad is or something like that. And he goes, well, that's funny. You know who my dad is because I know who your dad is. The devil, that's your dad. That's what he says. He says, you're of your father, the devil. That's what he says to them. And the desires of your father you want to do. Okay, Jesus didn't, let me, let me stop for a second. In Jesus' theology, like we're followers of Jesus, so what Jesus does, we do. Amen? What Jesus thinks, we think. That's how this works. We follow his thinking and his, and his way of life. Jesus didn't have some, Lord, like when he thought about evil, notice that he doesn't just have some like vague force that's unknown, bad juju out there somewhere, you know, in his framework. Jesus is like, yes, there's a real spiritual devil who he saw fall like lightning. 
He's like, there, there's a devil, and he's telling these guys, I've met him, and you remind me of him, okay? And Jesus says about the devil, he was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth. Another translation is he cannot stand the truth. Because, here's why, there is no truth in him when he speaks a lie he speaks from his own resources. The NIV says he speaks his native tongue. It's his first language. For he is a liar and the father of it. Jesus says, but because I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. So Jesus is, is we would say he's spitting facts is what he's doing. He's speaking the truth here about lies. The truth about lies. He's saying Satan's native tongue is lies. And here's what Satan does. Satan, Jesus teaches us this, he uses lies, and with his lies, Satan has somehow the power to deceive humans. This is what he did from the very beginning. This is why in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, it's a picture of Satan's fall and defeat, and also his original fall. It says, so the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan. Notice how he's described here, the one who deceives the whole world. He was cast to earth and his angels were cast out with him. I don't know how this works. I know it from experience, unfortunately, but, but I don't fully know how it works. But the Bible describes Satan, this real spiritual force, as having this certain kind of power to trick you, to lead you to believe things that aren't true. How does he stimulate the self-talk in my mind? How does he inject the lies and infect my faith? I don't know. But I know he does. He's been doing it from the beginning. It's his namesake over the whole world. Satan is known as this one who deceives. Notice this phrase, the whole world. He has just wreaked havoc on people's faith systems. He's just led the whole world of humanity away from God through somehow he does this thing where he injects lies. He leads us to believe them and serve them. Now, lest we think we have this in our past because now we've come to Jesus, we must remember that it's also to the Christian that God calls us to watch out for lies. You know, well, I have a Bible. Well, that's great. So does Satan, okay? He knows the Bible. He threw it at Jesus. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't automatically make you invincible to deception. In fact, that's like one of the main qualifications and characteristics of the end times is like everyone's getting deceived. It's looking bad. Paul says that in the last days, men are going to grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And so Paul warns the church, he warns Christians like you and me in 2 Corinthians, he's writing to the church at Corinth. And these Corinthians were, they were all jacked up, to be honest. But Paul's helping them out, and here's what he says to them. He's like, here's, at the end of the day, one of the biggest things that, have, that has, has messed this church is that they've been led astray into lies by false prophets that Satan himself has empowered to speak lies. And to confuse and trick them, and usually using the Bible to do so. So Paul says to them, he's like, I fear, Christian, lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, this should be a fear for our lives as well, so your minds may be corrupted. I'm afraid that your mind may be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Jesus. For if he who comes to you preaches another Jesus, 
I got a new Jesus for you. You haven't heard about this Jesus before. I love people's new interpretations of Jesus. It's my favorite. It's like scripture tells me not to pay attention to your new Jesus, but to pay attention to the real historic Orthodox Jesus. And if anyone preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you've received a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. He's like, that's so sad. And then he says this in verse 13, For such who do this are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ, and no wonder. For Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Well, it felt good, and it sounded good, and it seemed right. It had all the characteristics of an angel of light. And the call here is watch out for deception. This, this is why Paul is beginning with truth, because Satan begins with lies, and by lies, he has this power to deceive you and I. In John Mark Comer's book, Live No Lies which is a book about all of this, in terms, especially in terms of our battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. I think we talked about this in the first week. I think this framework really helps give a little bit more context to why Satan is so successful at this, not just in the world, but in our lives as well, in, in tricking us. Uh, Satan says, or sorry, Satan doesn't say this. John Mark Comer, you're not Satan, bud. Um, John Mark Comer says that the framework <laughs> that is used is, is Satan usually begins by inserting deceptive ideas, but it doesn't end there. Like, there's lying voices everywhere, by the way. Welcome to America in 2023, right? That, that's not the biggest part of the problem. That's not the only part of the problem. The other part of the problem is not just the devil, but it's this thing called my flesh. Do you know what I'm talking about? So Satan whispers these deceptive ideas, and the reason why they can be so effective is they, my flesh often agrees with the lie. It gives me an opportunity to make concession. It gives, it gives me an opportunity usually to solve my problem apart from Jesus. So this is why we need to remember Jeremiah 17, which says that the heart is also, what, deceitful? Have you ever followed your heart and like it didn't work out good? You ever done that? Just follow your heart. It's like sometimes my heart is leading me to Ben and Jerry's at 2 a.m., is that my heart or my stomach? I don't know. So not only do we have a, a, an enemy that lies to us, we have hearts that lie to us as well. That's why John says, even if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. Okay. And then to add a layer to that, John Mark says, we also have this thing called the system of the world, which is the current of culture which exasperates lies. It, it makes believing lies easy and following truth hard. In fact, we live in a day and age where to even say that there's such a thing as the truth is contradictory. And so this is the framework that, that we're up against. As followers of Jesus, he's rescued us, he saved us, He's called us. He sent us. And we've been sent with that mission into a, not a playground, but a battleground of lies. And if we are going to stand 
against the lies of the culture, the lies of our heart, and the lies of the enemy. We must be girded with truth. We must become people of truth. Truth is our defense against the lies. This is why Paul starts with this, that in the spiritual battle against these lies, you must put on the belt of truth. Gird your waist with truth. This is significant. It's significant because it's a picture of God's grace. Listen to this. It's God's grace to free you from the darkness of lies and to give you the truth. The truth never harms. Sometimes the truth hurts. That's true. But it always helps. And God is in his, in his, in his graciousness and love towards us. This is one of like the main themes of the story of the Bible. Is like humanity is prone to deception and following lies and departing from God and building our own truths and our own frameworks and our own definitions of God and, and, and fill in the blank with everything else we've tried to redefine. And, and what God does in his grace is even though Romans 1 says our, our tendency is to exchange the truth for lies, God in his grace, he still brings us truth. He helps us. He saves us with truth. Um, this is one of the storylines of the Bible. So like you start in the Old Testament and God reveals himself to humanity, to his people Israel who have been caught in lies and continue to follow the lies. God says, as he reveals himself to Moses, he is one who abounds in goodness and truth. That's Exodus 34. That he, this is what God says, that he is a reliable source of truth in and of himself in a world of lies. And then God sends his people his law. His law is not suggestive moral ideas. God doesn't give his law as a relative concept, you know, relative morality. Here's like a way you could live. Here's like a way. This, your life would probably be better if you practiced these ten things. You know, it's like eating your broccoli. Like, you should do it. No, God gives his people his law which is his, listen, his truth. There's such a thing as moral absolutes. There's such a thing as moral truth. There's such, there's such a thing as right and wrong. Maybe you need to jot that note down this morning. Like, seriously. And God reveals his truth to his people. He wants them to be a light to the nation. So he's like, here's the truth of how the world works, how morality works. And then God sends his people prophets and prophets are doing the thing, doing the ministry of saying what the people need to hear, but what no one wants to hear. So what the people usually do is they kill the prophets. It's like, don't, shh. Or they cancel them. That's like the modern version, right? But God is seeking to reach his people with truth. He wants them saved from lies. And so then God, God sends his son Jesus into the world. And the disciples say that they, when they saw Jesus, they beheld the only begotten of the Father. And Jesus, how many of us know this? He is full of grace and truth. When the disciples are asking Jesus for directions, they didn't have Siri or Google Maps. So they're like, how do we get to heaven, Jesus? How do we get there? We're really into you going to prepare a place for us. Sounds awesome. How do we get there? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. He doesn't say, I am a way. I am a truth. I'm a truth. 
I'm a lifestyle. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus tells his disciples that though he's leaving, he's not going to leave them as orphans. He's going to send the Spirit, and he calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of, do you know by now? Yeah, thanks for paying attention. And he said, the Holy Spirit's going to come, and he's going to lead you as God's people into all truth. The gospel here in Ephesians is called the word of truth. That's what makes the gospel such good news, is what makes it good news is that it's true news. <laughs> the, the, the grave is really empty. The tomb is really empty. It's the word of, of truth. God has always sought to provide his people prone to deception with truth as their defense, as truth for their defense. Uh, this is Jesus in John 17. Just some more Bible thrown at you here. John 17. Jesus is praying for his disciples. And the same like framework of mind that Paul has in Ephesians about spiritual warfare, Jesus has here for us and his disciples in John 17. Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's about to do his own spiritual battle with the enemy in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's praying, I love this, interceding on behalf of his followers. And he's speaking to his father and he says, I've given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, even though that's the tendency for us to do that. Like, let's just create our Christian compound subculture and put up high walls and keep everyone inside, all right? Like, shelter away, shelter in place against the devil. Like, he's like, don't do that. Don't take them out of the world. But I pray that as they're in the world, on mission for my kingdom, you would keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So he prays that they would remain in the world, they would be kept from the evil one, and here's how he envisions that happening. God, would you sanctify your people, them, by your truth, your word. I love that. Your word is truth. As you send me into the world, I've also sent them into the world, and for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. So I want you to see Jesus... As, as like illustrating the picture of, of maybe like a parent sending their kid off to the first day of school. And as he's sending them off, he's not just like, eat some breakfast, get out the door, find the bus. Did you do your homework? Do you know what homework is? Do you know how to spell? Do you speak English? Like, like imagine this. He's not the, the, this parent that is careless about the provision of what their kid needs to go into the world and into the day. And, and this is Jesus over your and my life. He ensures, listen, he ensures that you and I have everything we need to go into the world. I don't know how unprepared you often feel. I often feel that way. But listen, here's the truth of your life today. God has given you what you need to fulfill what he's called you to do in the world. He's given you what you need to stand against the attacks that are going to come against you. Your, your life ahead of you that God has called you to is possible through him and what he's given you. And the most primary thing he's given us, as it says here, is his truth, man. You have the truth you need to move forward. And I love that Jesus says here, the source of that truth is the word of God. Your word is truth. Set them apart. Defend against the evil one. Protect them. Use them. Save them with your truth. Your truth. And this is what Paul says here. Now, I want you to notice, though, here, as Paul is describing the spiritual war and, and God's provision of truth for us, 
We have the truth of the gospel. We have the truth of the scripture. I want you to notice the application here. It says that you've got to put on truth like a belt is what it says. I want to point out here that the call here in Ephesians, like if we're actually going to overcome lies, it's not just like buy a belt, like buy a Bible, download the app. It's like I've won. I beat you, devil. I bought the U. I downloaded the U version app. You are finished. Okay. The call here is not just to to own a belt, to possess truth intellectually, or to contain truths, or, or to say, you know, I have a church, I have a Bible. I have a Christian faith. He says, you've got to put on the truth like a belt. You have to appropriate the truth for the battle. You have to be armed in it. Earlier he'll say, put on the whole armor of God. God hasn't given us his word for us to say, cool, I have God's word. God has given us his truth so that we can be armed against lies. Now, that... I think this makes sense for most of us. Like, most of us have some context of belts. I'm a big belt guy. Meaning, <laughs> I, would, I don't know if I'd put that, like, in my Twitter bio, but, like, <laughs> big belt guy. Um, what I mean by that is, like, my belt and my watch, which I forgot to wear this morning, like, has me feeling, like, a little bit, you know, you know the feeling where you're, like, I feel unprepared for life right now, okay? And belts are, are definitely... Similar. In that culture, I want you to remember, as, as, as Paul is talking about putting on your belt, he's not just making sure your pants don't sag a little bit. Now, in this context, he's talking about the Roman soldier, and the belt of the Roman soldier was vital to the rest of the armor. We could say it this way, truth is foundational to everything else. And so let, let, me, let me try to answer this question for the last moment we have. I want to answer this question. So we know that God's provided truth, but here's a question I want to answer. Like, I've been raised in church. I know the gospel. I know some Bible verses. I, like, I also know there's an enemy. I know he doesn't like me. I know he's really good at tripping me up. What does it actually mean, though, to do what Paul is saying here in a way that leads to victory? What does it mean to put on truth like a belt? What does that literally mean culturally, and what does that mean? Like, what's the analogy here? And there's a couple meanings to this analogy. One, one idea of this analogy that Paul is using is the application of this, that we should be held together by the truth as Christians. Think about it this way. We should be held together by the truth. In that culture, you, the, the Roman soldier's belt, it didn't merely hold his pants up. In fact, they didn't wear pants as we know them today they wore tunics and with with the the roman soldier's garments the first piece of armor that he would put on before any other pieces was the belt and the reason is because the belt would hold every other piece of the armor, armor together uh, the breastplate would be attached to the soldier's belt uh, the sheath for the sword would be attached to the soldier's belt the idea here is that the belt of truth holds everything together so so a roman's just as a Roman's armor is held together by the belt, Paul is saying, let your, listen, let your faith, let your faith be held together by truth. Your faith, like a belt, what does this mean to put on the truth like a belt? That my faith is held together by the truth. Um, question this morning. Who or what holds your faith together? Now, I say who or what because i got to get the who out of the way because that's the easy cop-out answer. Jesus holds my faith together. Okay, 
I know, okay? In him, all things consist. We know that. But if you look at your life, what's held your faith together? I'm not talking about his grace. That's him. He holds, grace is God holds me. Faith is I hold God. The good news is even when I let go, he still holds me. Isn't that good news? I'm like, thank you, okay? That's grace. I'm talking about your faith. What holds your faith together? Paul's like, make sure that your faith is not built and held together by anything other than the truth. Your faith, let me give you some examples, it shouldn't be held together by your subjective experiences. It shouldn't be held together. Here's a big one. You ever, you ever lost your faith because you were building your faith on fleeting emotions? It's like, well, I don't, I don't feel God today. It's like, well, welcome to following Jesus. Jesus wasn't feeling the Lord on the cross. You know what I'm saying? Like, David, you read the Psalms, he's like, where are you, God? I feel my enemies more than I feel your presence. What about your circumstances? What's holding your faith together? There's not subjective experiences that God gives us. Now, listen, those things are good for your soul. Don't get me wrong. Your soul needs some God filled experiences. Uh, God uses emotions. It's been said like emotions make a great servant, but a horrible master. Does that make sense? Uh, And so so God uses these things for your soul. But I I love this. I love this for Paul's mindset. Like you want to think about who's writing this. Paul's writing about truth. Paul is not a Christian because it feels like the pragmatic thing to do because it's how he votes. It's like, I might as well just be a Christian. It's my political party now. Or like, I'm going to be a Christian because, you know, the whole, like, if it's, if it's true, the whole, like, you get heaven after you die is pretty dope, and you get it for free because Jesus bought it for you. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll let someone buy me a house in heaven. Yes, I'm a Christian, okay? Like, Paul is a Christian who's willing to give up his life for his faith because he's come to know Jesus as the truth, to where a gun to his head won't cause him to deny anything. Because Paul has seen the Lord. Paul has built his life on the reality that the Christian faith is true. Listen, um, it should be the main reason why here on the ground you're a follower of Jesus. Like, why am I a Christian? Well, we could say God's sovereign grace has allowed me to be a Christian. But, but on the pavement level, for me, I want to tell you this sincerely. I'm a follower of Jesus. When a lot of my friends have stopped following Jesus, I have for 15 years now, continued to follow Jesus, not because I'm really good at it. Because if that was the main qualifier, this would be done a long time ago. But I'm a follower of Jesus because I believe that Jesus really rose from the dead. And I believe the New Testament is reliable. And I believe believe the gospel is true. This will do something for you when you're the only one left. There's a story in John 6 where a bunch of people walk away from Jesus. Many of his disciples go back. They walk with him no more. Then Jesus says to the 12, this is, I feel like this is me in so many ways. Do you also want to go away? Like, hey, everyone's leaving. Now's your chance. Like, if you're going to walk away from God, you might as well do it now. And Simon Peter answered him. He's like, Lord, like, we might, to be, to be honest, the whole, like, inviting us to eat your body and drink your blood, like, it, it was a little difficult. And I, to be honest, part of me wants to leave but where else am I going to go? 
For you alone have the words of eternal life, and we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I can't tell you how many times I have had the opportunity to turn my back on Jesus and walk away with the crowd, but I was anchored by more than feeling. I'm anchored by conviction and knowledge and a belief that Jesus is alive and he's worth my whole life. And you've got to get to that place because nothing else will be able to sustain you when the benefits of following Jesus go away. Do you know what I'm talking about? If your life in Jesus is simply built around, if it's held together by its benefits, there's going to be days where following Jesus does not feel beneficial. And you have to believe it by faith, but we're built on truth. Can I say, like, this is why my greatest desire as a pastor of a small church here in our time is to do more for you than inspire you to action, to get you to practice a couple good things, to live a good Christian life. Like, my heart for you is to become irrelevant to you as a preacher because I've led you to become anchored in what's true. So you're not built on the preacher of the word and the production of the church. You're built on the truth of God's word. This is what really is going to stand the test of time. People who are rooted in what they know. I have to throw this in there, even though time is another enemy for me right now. Spiritual enemy, even. Job has gone through it, to say the least. I wish I could summarize the book of Job for this morning. I will do him a tremendous disservice and say to you, Job went through it. And Job says this, oh, that my words were written, oh, that they were inscribed in a book. I can't wait to tell Job that worked out, okay? That they were engraved to a rock with an iron pen and led forever. Job's like, listen, I'm a guy who's been through some stuff. I'm a guy who has had every reason to curse God and die. Remember, the trials that Job went through, we're going to talk about them more in a couple weeks when we talk about the fiery darts of the enemy. But it, it, every earthly reason to, to walk away from God. He goes, but, but I, I want people to know something. Here's my testimony, Job says. Here's, here's something I've experienced. Despite all that I've walked through, Job says in verse 25, it's actually not up there, but Job says, I have come to know that my Redeemer lives. And I know I will see him face to face. Question today is, listen, in times when there's a lot in life that you don't know, um, Learning to lean on what you do. Here's what I know. Here's what I know about God. So put on truth like a belt. What does it mean? It means to make sure that you're held together by the truth. And my encouragement to you, first of all, is like, don't take my word for it. Be a Berean on this. Um, I would encourage you, like, is, is the gospel true? That's a great question. Are the claims of the Christian faith true? We're running the Alpha course right now during the week, and it's a space for people to come explore that. And the evidence is compelling, by the way, that Jesus was who he said he was. But be held together by the truth. Another application of putting on the belt of truth is, here's another idea, is to be unencumbered in the truth. So when I put on the truth of God like a belt, what I'm doing is, is I'm, I'm making sure the thing that holds my life together is something rock solid that doesn't change when life does. But when I put on the truth of God's word like a belt, I, I'm also... Uh, what that means is also to become unencumbered in the truth. You see, a, a soldier, let's go back to the soldier analogy, would put on his belt, and his belt didn't just hold his, his other pieces of the armor together. His belt was also there to, if he needed to be mobile, his belt would, he, what he would do is he would take his tunic and he would like tuck it under 
this was masculinity back then, which is awesome, but like he would tuck it under up into his belt. And that enabled his feet to move swiftly. But without the belt on, you're, and we know this even practically today, you're encumbered, you're, you're caught up, you're entangled, and your mobility and freedom is impeded. And Paul is using this analogy, I think, to communicate this as well. To be armed with truth is to become, this is a word, uncucumbered. Just kidding. Unencumbered. It's a real word. It's the opposite of being encumbered. You're unencumbered in the truth. Listen, Google told me, and everything Google tells me is the truth, okay? Don't write that down. Jesus taught this in John chapter 8. He says this. If you abide in my word, look at the application. You're my disciples indeed. What does he say? You shall be girded up with truth, and the truth will set you free. This is an awesome promise that Jesus makes to you and I. You and I who are prone to be tangled by lies. We're prone to believe lies. We're prone to deception. And what is Jesus' provision for our deception? It's his truth. And he says... If you abide in his word, it's a lot like putting on a belt as a Roman soldier. It will keep you from being tripped up by lies. Does anybody know what it's like to be tripped up by lies? You look back, you go, I just built that whole identity on a lie. Why did I, I just built that whole conversation on a lie. I'm building my life. On, what am I doing? God's provision is truth, the truth of his word. Look at 2 Timothy 3. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, what to believe. So we know what's true about God for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God or woman of God may be complete by the word of God, thoroughly equipped for every good work. God's word equips me with what I need to overcome lies, to not be entangled. Um, Jesus modeled this best. I love Matthew 4 when Jesus is tempted. He's led, this is an interesting prayer or situation. He's led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Like, be careful next time you say, Spirit, lead me into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. All right. <laughs> it's probably why he's like, Lord, uh, Lead me not into temptation again. That was not fun. Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He's led here because he is going to overcame where you and I failed as humans. And he's tempted, and Satan comes to him and, and tempts him. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, the tempter came and said, notice this, if you are the son of God, it's a question of identity. God already validated his identity in the prior chapter, that you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Satan comes and says, well, if you're the son of God, command that these stones become bread. And what does Jesus say? Jesus answered, this is all you need to know here, it is written. The son of God's defense against the enemy was the word of God. It's written. Here's, okay, I hear you. Here's the truth. Here's, here's what God says. Here's what's true about God. Now, I want you to pay attention to the second temptation. This is where it really gets hard. So, like, obviously the principle here is, like, know your Bible to combat the lies. But look at this next one. If you're the son of God, throw yourself down. Look at what Satan does. He's crafty. For it, Satan goes, well, speaking of it is written. Satan starts, you ever had Satan quote scripture at you? He does that? He shall give his angel. Doesn't the Bible say this? Doesn't the Bible says this in the Psalms? 
And I love Jesus' response. He's like, yeah, but you got to read the whole book, Satan. Okay, like your problem is you're an Instagram Christian, okay? And you post little verses, verse of the day. He's like, you got to know the whole story. This is what it means to be equipped with the word of God, by the way. Not that you memorize single verses, but you come to know the truth of God, the voice of God, through the whole counsel of the word of God. So when Satan comes to you whispering lies, even whispering, listen, half-truths, you can complete his sentences with the rest of the truth. And Jesus is like, well, it's written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And then the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kings of the world and their glory. He said to them, all these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. This is awesome. Jesus is like, dude, go away. (laughs) Away with you. For it is written, you shall not worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Notice this. I love how humility. Then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and ministered to him. Some good angels showing up. Can I just like remind you that in Jesus, through the the scripture, you have the power to tell the devil, go away. And he'll leave. James 4, 7 says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. I don't know about y'all, but like, I I would love some more angels coming up in my life and ministering to me. You know what I'm saying? That sounds great. I don't know what that looks like. I can't testify to an experience of hanging out with some angels recently. Maybe, you know, you entertain them, you don't know, but... My wife, of course, you know. But what a, what a hope for us. Look at Jesus' game plan. Here's the word of God. Here's what's true. Go away. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You don't have to be dominated by lies because you've been liberated to truth. And the narrative of the enemy doesn't have to dictate your faith and your life and your feelings because you're not rooted in his lies. You're planted in God's truth. If you abide in his word, you allow his word to define you and lead you and speak to you, you can resist him. And angels will show up. And it'll be awesome. Let's close with this last one. We gotta go to communion here. We get to, pardon that. Lastly, Uh, I'll invite the team to come out for this final one. This will help us turn things into a close here. The last application of being girded with the belt of truth is to put on truth like a belt. The idea is it holds my faith together. Uh, My faith is held together by the truth of God, the fact that Jesus is alive, that the New Testament is reliable. Truth. What I know, not what I feel, what I know. And then I put on belt like a truth, uh, truth like a belt because it also... Um, keeps me from being encumbered by lies when I know the truth of God's word. But I also put on truth because there's imagery in the scripture, the idea here of girding up your, your loins, that's your waist area, your clothing, is, is used to portray what it looks like for a soldier or any person to be ready for service. That's the idea. Service to the truth. It's not just knowing the truth. It's like, I have so come under that truth that my life is submitted to it in every way. That's the idea of truth. Jesus says it this way in Luke 12, let your waist be girded. Gird up your waist. Be a, the, the idea there is like, don't be encumbered. F- tie up your, wa- your, your loins 
and be available for mobility of service. Look at this picture. And your lamp's burning. That means you're expecting for his return. And you yourselves be like men. Here's the call for you and I. Be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he finds, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you, he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. And if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch, the Lord alone knows, and he finds them, so blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So Jesus uses this imagery of being girded up as a picture of preparation and expectation. Like my life is short, Jesus is coming. And when he does, I want to be found as one who's obedient to the truth. Not just knowing about it, yeah, my master's coming, I know that. But with a posture of submission to God's word. I mean, this is really, the scripture teaches, this is really where the rubber meets the road in your and my deceptive hearts. The Bible teaches that the lack of belief in truth is actually not a faith problem. It's a submission problem. It's a heart problem. Truth is plain. If you want to see the truth, you will. But if you don't want to see the truth, you won't. If you don't want to come under the truth of God's word, God's word says that that God is going to look on the person that submits to God's word, who says, God, I'm here not to tell you what's true, but to let you, because you're the only reliable voice of truth, I'm going to come under your truth. I'm going to submit myself in mind, heart, and body to your way. I'm going to be, I want you to find me obedient to your truth. Because you found me with your truth, God. Thank you. You didn't leave me in the dark, but you brought me to the light through your grace and love. You've saved me with your truth. How can I not devote my whole life to following you?